Hello, and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week. I'm Nick Axelrod-Welk. And I'm Annie Kriegbaum. Annie, how, how are you this week? How's my girl? <laughs> Your girl is good. I am on season three of Narcos. After There's a season three? Of, I think so. So the first one was about Pablo Escobar, then number two was about the Mexican cartel, and what's number three about? No, the number two is about the Colombian cartel. Okay. I think and Pablo Escobar, and then number three is also about the Colombian cartel. Oh, so it, I thought it was like, I, but like the story ends when Pablo Escobar gets killed, no, right? Absolutely oh. not. Oh, 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 then oh. then they t- they talk about that. Then number two, well, the DEA and the police are focusing on Escobar. The other number two gang, uh, something I don't lose something. Sounds like you're paying <laughs> attention really closely. And it's not helping my Spanish at all. This whole exercise <laughs> was just like, and yeah, they're speaking English most of the time. Um, funny story or interesting story. Um, I actually went to Colombia when Pablo Escobar was in the Andes hiding out, like on the loose, because we adopted my brother from Colombia and we went to go pick him up in 1990. It must have been 1993. And I remember like we had a bodyguard and we had to like, they had those like mirrors that they show underneath your car to make sure there's not like a bomb underneath your car um, when we would go into the hotel and stuff. I don't know that that sounds like really tight security. <laughs> I mean, I think like living in Colombia at that time was like generally really unsafe. I mean, we were also in Medellin, which was his hometown. And there was like, I think, I think at this point, there was like a bounty for anyone who would who kill the cop. Like this was when he was, he was like wreaking havoc on the city. I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. And I'm so thankful that you survived. I know. Well, we got um, my brother, which is amazing. And um, now a Netflix TV show. Speaking of getting children, um, let's hear a food update on your little... So, yes. Thank you for reminding me. This is a new um, mini segment on the show, which is going to be called Baby Watch 2020. And this is, I don't know if any of our listeners have had kids or are going to have kids and they've downloaded the pregnancy apps. There's a bunch. There's one called What to Expect. There's one called Ovia. Uh, There's one called the bump there's like all these different honestly there's one called the pattern and i know it's not technically a pregnancy app but it will tell you what will happen to you in the future the pattern you haven't heard of the pattern no is it it's like a it's like an astrology app but it's to the day it tells you when your life will fall apart oh i don't need that right now but the what to expect app will like compare the size of your baby in utero to like a different fruit or a vegetable or a French pastry, like really whatever you want. So I just thought I would every week update our listeners with the size and shape of my unborn baby. So this week, the baby is the size of a prune. I need another reference. Nobody eats prunes. Oh, don't worry. A tart kumquat. <laughs> a oh, yes. Petit four, you know, those little like French candies. Okay, we're getting closer. They're like cakes. Yeah, it's like a little cake. The baby is the size of a Lego man. So imagine like a little inch and a half long Lego man. And a cardinal tetrafish, which is a little freshwater fish that can be found in many home aquariums. I feel like these things are not equally sized. I mean, I think that the, what you find out when you try to like you know, cross-reference all of these is that it's just more entertainment than it is science. But the good thing is that she's growing. She no longer has a tail and um, she's growing teeth under her gums. So that's Baby Watch 2020. I had one more thing I wanted to talk about, and I feel like we'd be remiss if we didn't speak about this. And this is the new single from Cardi B and Megan Thee Stallion called WAP. I've spent the past week, you've been watching Narcos. I've been trying to convince my mom that WAP is a feminist anthem, like a female empowerment anthem. And Sorry, can you explain what WAP, how do you spell? W-A-P. And for those who haven't listened to it, I actually got to introduce my friend Scott to this song yesterday. It was like very exciting to be able to show someone this song. It stands for Wet Ass Pussy. And basically, it is a song that sings the praises of having a wet ass pussy 
from the perspective of both Cardi B and up and comer, but she's not even an up and comer now. She's like pretty much a superstar, Megan the Stallion. She's the face of Revlon. As we she's the face of Revlon. And it's like a very explicit song, but also a fucking amazing song. And it's actually created a lot of controversy in on Twitter uh, where, uh, you know, a, a lot of conservatives are saying how, you know, vulgar and disgusting and, you know, anti-feminist it is. And then of course there's the side of, you know, the Cardi stands and the Megan stands and the liberal people among us who think it's great and, you know, better for a young girl to potentially hear two women say these words than to hear a man say them, you know, things like that. So I was trying to Facebook group are you a part of to where you're (laughs) seeing people being critical of the song. I haven't seen. Oh, so there, so there's that um, right wing columnist, Ben Shapiro, who did this like, he basically like spoke the words to the song, but instead of saying pussy, he said P word. So he, he like was like, you know, like macaroni in the pot with this wet ass P word. Like he like, he like (laughs) spelled it all or like, uh, like read it all out. And then they like someone cleverly remixed that into like a song. But anyway, he was just like saying how disgusting it was. And I wholeheartedly disagree. And I was trying to convince my mother to be on the right side of history and she is somewhere in the middle right now. She doesn't believe that it's like vulgar and horrible, but she also she has she hasn't quite come along on the Cardi uh, Megan the Stallion train. But the video is also insane. <laughs> what I do love- you want her to do? Like make a TikTok? <laughs> yes, I want her. You to like, like the video? You like the video? I love the video. I mean, it's all green screen, but that yeah. I, that I can't stand. That I think is weird. What are you supposed to do? We're in quarantine. I know. I know. I know. But I love that they had like a few different up and coming rappers and singers like featured in the video. But it actually, the video got a lot of controversial commentary around it because Kylie Jenner is prominently featured in the video. And people felt that she had sort of made her fame on, you know, co-opting black culture and that like, you know, it was inappropriate for her to be in this song and in this video and Cardi B was basically quoted as saying it's not all about race. So we'll leave that there. Well, Nick's mom, we'll look for an update next week. Yeah, I'm, I'll keep on chipping away. And I'll keep working on my Spanish. Should we get into the week's top stories? See. Sí. So first up, we have Lauren Conrad, who is the star, the former star of The Hills. I feel like she needs no introduction, but she just announced that she's launching Lauren Conrad Beauty, which is a line of lip gloss, lipstick, liquid highlighter, a liquid eyeliner, a lip and cheek tint. It's, of course, cruelty-free and relatively clean, according to the brand, and you know, Lauren on the website for Lauren Conrad Beauty says that she's particularly excited that it um, they were able to use or to create, I guess, a fully recyclable lipstick tube because usually a lipstick tube will have both plastic and metal. And as you've said, Annie, you can't recycle something that has mixed materials. So this was sort of a step in the right direction for their sort of sustainability mission. And I guess, yeah, I mean, the rest is still unwritten. You know, I was just waiting to of- say that. I am mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> shocked that she still has this kind of influence. She does hardcore. She's just been in the background all these years. I don't culture, think so. Right? I think she's like, I think she's still in the foreground for, I think all of her fans <laughs> have grown up with her. So she has a kid now and she's married and they have this sort of like perfect little, you know, Southern California suburban life. And I think that all, all of her fans are, are sort of like growing up with her. So I think she's maintained her credibility and her like influence because she hasn't alienated her fans. Can you think of one celebrity that you've like grown up with for that long, though? I can't. I don't understand this like fandom. That's a really good question. I mean, maybe like Scarlett Johansson. But she's not like an influencer. No, You're a fan true. of her work. You don't know Scarlett Johansson. None no. of us. Like do. you mean someone you know, that someone like that like tattoos. we know from like a from like a, like in an, an intimate way. Yeah, someone that you you truly like. You would like read their like auto like if they put out a book, you would buy the book. Yeah, no, I guess not. Like there's like because influencers didn't exist in this way like when we were kids. I mean, there's like the Lindsay Lohan's. I mean, Lor- no, Lauren Conrad is that when we were kids. I mean, yeah, you're older I guess- than me. 
Yeah, I mean, she's a little bit younger than me, but she was, I guess, like the first, you know, she was a reality star and people like were obsessed with her and identified with her. I mean, the fact that Stephen Coletti and Kristen Cavallari took a picture last week on posted on Instagram together um, and it like broke the internet for the day is kind of testament to the fact that people are still not over the hills. It's a testament to the fact that like people are stuck inside. And, yes, like, we all and we're, we are we're, we are all looking for a little peak of sunshine in in a cloudy, rainy weather pattern. And all they're finding is <laughs> sad photo of recently divorced Kristen Cavallari. Kristen Cavallari with her high school boyfriend. I know, but like I kind of wish that if they end up together, like I feel like that's them giving the world a hug. You know. Okay. In other, look, we said that we weren't going to cover celebrity beauty lines, and it's all that we cover on this show. Well, it's is all that, that's, like, what does that say about the state of the maybe, industry? Maybe, maybe that's number one, but also number two. Maybe like the summer are like the is the time when like everyone's just like kind of dumping their celebrity brands. Like summer blockbusters always, you know, were a thing. Like Men in Black. Will <laughs> Nobody Smith. buys beauty products in the summer, though. I don't know. So maybe it's like not even the good one. I mean, Selena hasn't launched yet, but she's launching at the end of this month, I think. The the thing that's upsetting is that none of the well we should say we sh- we're bearing the lead. So the other person who is launching a beauty company is Kate Hudson, who just announced that she is creating powdered supplements called In Bloom, which look kind of like the Beauty Chef, you know that brand of supplements that come in like a little plastic container and it's called like beauty dust or beauty food or something. And you like add it to a smoothie or add it to water. Um, and it's supposed to like make you beautiful from the inside out. But I think that like what's unremarkable about these brands and what's sort of upsetting is it's a missed opportunity for someone to like do something different, right? Like at least Lady Gaga with house laboratories, like did something kind of different. Did she? Yeah. I mean, it was like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what they're on amazon <laughs> yeah at least there was like an interesting like distribution play i mean i think like you just sort of want like lauren conrad beauty looks like it could be rms it looks like it could be Ilya. it looks like it could be any of those brands and rare you know is that same neutral nude-ish palette that like we've, we've seen in a lot of beauty brands look like yeah it it is it is disappointing to like someone that's like dealt with really tight budgets my whole career to think that like these people have so many resources and so much funding and like it just looks the same as everything else like if you think about in the last like you know few decades like the beauty brands that have really like broken through and sort of felt different and special like stila cosmetics when they had you know, cardboard lipstick packaging like that. Was I was like, going to say when you said that Lauren Condor's lipstick packaging was fully recyclable. I'm like, well, Stila's been doing that for yeah. So like Janine Lobel like created basically took cardboard and created a lipstick component out of cardboard. I think and Glossier, eyeshadow cases. Remember, yeah. Cardboard, and I think yeah. Gl- you know Glossier with like the pink bubble wrap pouch and like the sort of very like minimalist, simple branding and you know, utilitarian packaging was like kind of interesting for the moment. And then I guess Fenty Beauty, you know, with the I don't know of, that they did anything super remarkable with their packaging. But it was that the that sort of nude palette that was It was chic. Yeah. I would say it was like glam chic and all custom, right? Yeah. But then Which, since then we've kind of been waiting. I would say Pat McGrath Labs has been the most exciting thing to happen to makeup in my career. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, anyway, we digress. This last news story actually ties very nicely into almost a bow with our guest that we have on the podcast this week. It was announced that Axe Body Spray was sort of doing a subtle rebrand by releasing two new lighter, they're calling it lighter scented products that use essential oils instead of synthetic fragrance, and they don't have aluminum, they don't have parabens, they don't have dyes. The two scents that they just released are Wild Bamboo and Cool Ocean, which sound like old acts, but I guess they are meant to entice a more socially minded or like clean beauty minded consumer. The whole idea of like dousing yourself in acts as a means of taking a shower, they're trying to get away from that reputation by sort of creating a light, lighter sense that might appeal to like maybe the TikTok demo. I don't know. 
And speaking of getting with the times, our guest this week is Katie Storino, who created the brand Mega Babe. And she basically saw a huge gap in the marketplace for products for women of all sizes, but, you know, products that, that were kind of quote unquote gross, like in, in concept. So like a product for boob sweat or a product for thigh chafe. She packaged them in really cute packaging, millennial kind of packaging, and first sold them through her own website and now is distributed through Ulta. And as we found out, is entirely self-funded and killing it from the basement of her parents' house where she is quarantining. This is our interview with Katie Storino. live from your parents' basement. Where is that? Yeah. It's in Wisconsin, where I'm from. So are you with your husband in your parents' basement? Sure. Yeah. Man, my two dogs. Um, Things are bleak. Um, (laughs) Let's see. I left the city March 4th. I went up to Maine and I was in Maine until July 1st. And then I came here for the month of July and then we haven't left yet. What's the plan? What are any of our plans? Like (sighs) I know. What? So you're running Mega Babe from your parents' basement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ironically, it's like the roots of Mega Babe because for the first two years of the business, we shipped out of my parents' house. Really? Uh-huh. Yeah. So did you not take the like raise money, you know, with a pitch deck kind of route on building your business? Absolutely not. We've really gone our own way in terms of running a beauty business in today's world, especially because we seem to be such like an Instagrammy millennial brand. We're self-funded and we're really bootstrapped and we just really kind of do things our own way. You've never raised any money? No. Holy shit. So do you find that most of your customers come in through Instagram and like, do you see it more as an influencer brand or do the products have legs outside of your follower? We sell in every Target and every Ulta. And the whole goal is that people don't even know that like I'm on Instagram. I just want them to discover the product somewhere mm-hmm. and and be like, oh my God, I didn't know they made bust dust for boob sweat. You did the outfit on her, the outfit on me. That was like your big content break in a way. That was my big content break. I did. I started supersize the look basically because when I thought, okay, I, there are not a lot of plus size bloggers out there. I guess I will become a plus size blogger because there there aren't a lot out there. And what I realized quickly is that being a blogger is is really hard in terms of like, Jesus, I can't put together 15 outfits a week and like do this. So I started to look to celebrities for in, inspiration. But what I really found is that the outfits that they were wearing, like Reese Witherspoon, people would be like, I love that style, but I can't wear it because I'm plus. So then that's why I started to recreate those celebrity outfits because I, one, I needed inspiration for outfits. And two, I just wanted to show women of all sizes that they could pull off these looks. And it's an easy, you know, like from a, from a content, like editorial angle, it's like an easy thing to reproduce because you're just like, yeah. you need to get like an airport yeah. paparazzi picture, like a leaving yeah. Craig's picture and you can, and yes. there you have your content. But guess what? I got sued this year because there are people out there that go and, I don't know if they represent paparazzi, but they'll sue celebrities for posting their own paparazzi photo. The Which I guess is, is like a like the downside of scaling to your yes, level. Is that people are looking for that kind of stuff to take you down. So then Mega Babe grew out of, you know, Andy and I were just talking about how in fashion plus size was a big movement a few years ago. Like it yeah. was this idea of like inclusive sizing. But in beauty, were you kind of the first brand to bring this sort of plus size idea to the beauty product market? I would say so. I would say we definitely are the first brand out there that is bringing body care solutions in like a positive way and addressing things like thigh chafe and boob sweat that most beauty brands and quite honestly, retailers wouldn't touch three years ago. And I mean, I I remember still going into Sephora and having them look at me and say, this is like a niche category. It's sort of not really our thing, which they I don't think they could have been more wrong because it's just something that wasn't being done and people didn't understand it. And they think, oh, this is a plus size yeah. problem. This isn't something that most women have. But 
not only is it something that many and most women have, but if it were just a plus size problem, you're talking about 67% of the population. I knew everyone from the inside of the industry was looking at me like I was crazy, but I knew from my own following that every spring, like when the temps started to get warm, I'd be like, okay, like what are we doing for chub rub? And I'd go through all the solutions and I would try everything that was out there. And I was like, this is fine, but like we can do better. So what was out there? Everything from basically like sticks that are for men or for athletes or for people who are like doing a lot of cycling. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to make something for chafe specifically, which also people don't understand the difference between chafe and sweat if you don't have it, which is funny. But yeah, I wanted to make a thigh chafe stick that women could be proud of and that they could take out of their handbag and not feel embarrassed about. And then we have a body dust and a bust dust, which are both for body sweat. Is your best-selling product your deodorant? Our deodorant is very popular. And I made deodorant because I I had trouble with what was out there in the market with baking soda. I was getting a lot of rashes from that. So we wanted something that smelled good, that performed, and didn't have gross stuff in it. So we made Rosie Pitts, and Rosie Pitts is quite popular for us. And we have three other scents as well that, that are great. So I had no idea that you bootstrapped this and that you've never taken investment and you started it in your parents' basement. Yes. I always say that I'm Steve Jobs and my sister is Waz. <laughs> um, I'm sorry, really. <laughs> I've been in the basement for a while. Um, <laughs> we, yeah, I mean, it's myself, my best friend in San Francisco, my sister who's in Chicago, and We have part-time people who do customer service and that's it. I mean, this is, that's it. So how do you manage an account like Ulta or Target? Like who's doing that management? Um, My brother-in-law. So it's like a family affair. It's a full family business. Like, yes. Yeah. Did you have a big business in mind or did it kind of just snowball? No, I was like, I, well, first of all, we, we made 10,000 sticks of thigh rescue and 10,000 units of bus test and, Like everyone was like, well, we can get ready to house these in the garage for like the next three years because no one's buying them. (laughs) And we sold out of our thigh rescue uh, in the first week and we sold out of Bust Us before it even launched in pre-order. So I had no idea what was going to happen. I didn't know if if in fact the people who, who were in the industry were correct and that this wasn't going to be a thing or if my gut was right. I want it to be a big business. I find it really difficult because I think that the thigh rescue is something that women need on the go. And because you have to be so careful about branding and you have to be so careful about your distribution and your partners, I would prefer thigh rescue was in every store, like everywhere, but we kind of have to roll that out slowly. So right now we're in Target and Ulta, but that's my goal is just women in the world, wherever you are, you're on vacation, you're out walking, wherever you are, run inside, grab a stick. So the Bust Dust and Thigh Rescue were the first two products. Yes. And 10,000 units of each was your minimum at your supply. Yes. Order. Yes. Yeah. And so that's how the whole business started was like that's you, it. you ordered yeah. 20,000 20, units. Yep. And then I brought my parents out of retirement and they were packing the orders for two years. And then we went to a facility that we're at right now, like a real distribution center. But for two years, your parents were um, complaining every your- day. Yes. That is yes. so amazing. It's too much work. Like, but yeah. Then my sister and my brother-in-law basically moved back in with my parents from Chicago to like basically keep everything running. That's amazing because I like co-founded two companies and both were then, you know, we had raised money for yeah. both companies and that's a very different, it's a very different trajectory, right? I mean, like you're working 24 hours a day, seven days a week and in a way like someone else kind of owns you. Yeah. Psychologically and financially. (laughs) But like your experience is such a different experience in that you, you know, had complete, in a way, it sounds like complete freedom to, you know, grow at the pace you wanted to grow, to order how you wanted to order and to, you know, expand distribution how you saw fit. Which we also, we have freedom to fuck up too. I mean, like in a bad way, (laughs) like everything's on us. So if we, None of us have retail backgrounds, beauty backgrounds, anything like that. So like forecasting or dealing with a manufacturer who puts the wrong scent in like 100,000 units of product, we're like, what do we do about these things? Because none of us have that that trainer background. So it's like, we're very much wading through this and figuring it out. But while we're doing that, we seem to have success. I mean, if you 
were really fucking up, you wouldn't still be in business. Like if you, I mean, like like businesses live and die based on like incorrect orders and missed shipments yeah. and lost shipments and shit. But like we that. run it tight. We don't spend any money. We don't take salaries. So we're really, really. We 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 started doing paid marketing last summer, and we were doing paid social again this summer. I made my sister do a wild posting campaign. You know, the like the posters you stick up in New York, which was like a total might as well have just like lit money on fire because like you know nothing happens from I've that done those and, and they're actually really expensive they're and so expensive like there's no ROI we paste posters yes. all around LA and New York and like no one saw it and no one it took was pictures hundreds of, it. of thousands of dollars I know and I really forced it because I was like Jenny this is what people do so a lot of our business is me going like this is what people do and then we do it and it doesn't do anything and then I have to like be quiet well, I feel like though you're coming at it from like a you're like a creative you're a branding person. Yeah. Wild postings in New York, it puts your brand in the same space as like Valentino ads yeah. and like acne wild postings. And so it is really a branding play more so than like a a direct Conversion. response campaign. Yes. Yeah, where you're yeah. gonna be able to tell if people are like responding or not. They got covered the second day and never and never um, <laughs> replaced. It was like it was hard. That's also what they don't tell you is that they're literally no. out for 72 hours. No. And they're like, we're going to replace them. Like every 24 hours we go by. And I was like, where are you? That was it. And that was the end. So how are yeah. you, how are you doing customer acquisition? If you just started paid social last summer? Well, I guess that is a benefit of, well, okay. So we chose retail as like a customer acquisition plague because those are such giant Alta and target are such giants and have such um, amazing opportunities yeah yeah yeah, to do that and then through social through gifting through like me just like in the dms at all times if someone mentions like a deodorant a like a melasma anything i am like in their dms right away being like can i send you this i mean it's a lot of that organic posting on social has been up till now we just tried an influencer campaign last week so this is another thing i forced my sister into and the results are mixed. So what was, what was the campaign? Like, how did it work? I just wanted to do it the way I would like people to do campaigns with me, which is just like, you don't have to show me the content for approval. You just like talk about the product, Thigh Rescue, you know, because I, I went with brand fans who have like good followings and, and just talk about it. And like, here's a code, here's a swipe up and let's see what happens. So we've gotten really mixed results. But the ones who are good are really good. It must be funny and, and really interesting to be on the brand side mm-hmm. of that. Because with Into the Gloss, I was kind of on the other side. And then with Necessary, I've been on the brand side where I like consider myself a, like a intelligent person. And probably still to this day, I can't really tell you whether an influencer campaign will be successful or not. It's correct. It's random. It's a lotto. It's it's really a lot of like someone can yeah. seem super compelling and have great content and like seem really genuine and yeah. then there's crickets when you have them promote the product and then someone who seems like canned and not particularly like original is like yeah. going gangbusters and it's yeah. really I haven't cracked it. No, I don't think anyone has and I think that that is one of the things that I try to do when I like a product. I talk about it way before I start working with the brand so that it just seems organic on my page. And then my people are used to hearing about it. That's how I chose these people. Because I'm like, these people buy it. They like it. Let's see. So when you went into Target, was there a learning curve? Like people are seeing your product out of context, right? Like at the eye chafing stick, for instance. Like, yeah. Did that fly off the shelf just as easily at Target or were there things that you had to adjust in terms of the packaging? or So we did a year at Ulta first. Ulta had great faith in us, and they put us right in every single store and in the Discover bin. So the Discover bin was really helpful for us. Is that right near the, ca- the register? Yeah, yes. And that was helpful so that you know people could just be like, oh, what's this? It's that discovery moment. And now we actually have real shelf space at Ulta, which is helpful because like there's a big picture of my, my big face on the side of a thing now, and people can like be pulled in by that story. And Target, it's interesting because we are all of our products are grouped together in Target. So that has been, I think, interesting for the storytelling because our thigh chafe stick is shaped like a traditional deodorant. The bust dust is in with the deodorant. Our deodorants are in with the deodorants. And those are all the products that we have at Target. And our hand sanitizer is in a different department. 
you know what you realize is you realize it's the brands with the money that can really tell a story. How so? For example, um, Flamingo, like Flamingo or like Flamingo and Harry is the same company, but they've got a whole end cap, which is for the people who don't know, like on the side of a shelf, um, when you're walking by the aisle, they have like a whole side of the thing with like branding and signage and storytelling. And if you don't have that, you really are left to like real discovery. And that's hard, especially when employees don't know where the stuff is. And yeah, being, being in big retail definitely comes with challenges. So if we had money, if we had funding, summer 2020, we would have had like a whole end cap with like storytelling around summer survival, right? But we just, we don't have that. Are you creating a business plan internally and trying to like, who who's setting goals? We are. <laughs> we are. We're so we're, we, we just ask around. We're like, what are people supposed to be doing? And they're like, you're supposed to be multiplying by three X, right? So we're like, great, we'll do that. So we have been doing that. That's amazing. And would you would you take on funding, do you think, in the future, or you don't feel like you need to? I am waiting um, every day. I wake up and I say, is this the day that someone wants to buy us? We and do too with the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but so, yeah, I mean, like, that's it. I'm just like, who's coming? And I think we're like an excellent candidate for that. But who knows? I find that insane that you haven't been approached. I find that the people who do that kind of stuff are not as on the pulse of what's going on in the beauty industry as you would think. So I think that's going to be another Katie Storino, let's go straight to the top and find someone. That's like what's next on my list is I need to start making sure that we're on these people's radar because I don't think that we are. They're like It's a plus size beauty company. And I'm like, it's not. It's just a body care company. So we will continue to make products for women that like solve quote unquote problems. And Mm -hmm. most of those problems would be comfort related or like we launched our butt acne mask, Latouche, which is just like amazing. And we have our armpit mask, but it's, that's about as like in the beauty industry as I see us getting, I see us much more staying in solutions. I wonder if the reason that these bigger like companies like the Lauders and L'Oreal's of the world are not like looking at a a quote unquote niche company like yours is because there's no like market data to support, you know, it's not like a $12 billion industry to like cover like thigh chafing, right? Like the thing is, it's like it is and it could be, it's just we're right. the first to do it. And so while I don't know if the copycat brands, while they make me feel like super irritated, it might be that you can help build out a category so that they can provide more more data. Let me tell you one thing. I'm not mansplaining, but this is actually a very wise woman once told me this, that when you're an indie brand, a small brand, and you've like kind of come up with something new and you're original and someone comes into your space with more money with similar or similar product offering, they're paying the bills to do your marketing. So like the more people who know about this problem, quote unquote, of thigh chafe or of butt acne or of boob sweat the more potential customers you have. I I read a book called The Messy Middle, and that's where we are. What do you mean? We're just in the middle of it. Like, we're just wading through. Like, we've got the big orders. We've got the big retailers. And now we're just, like, scaling. And you're not launching, so it's not, like, that exciting. And you're not at the, hopefully, the end where you're getting acquired. So you're just in the middle, and you're trudging through, and you're tired. Like that's how I feel excited about what our products do for women. I feel tired as a business owner. What's it like been sort of uh, getting through COVID-19? COVID's been so weird for us because we launched hand sanitizer in January. So Oh, like, shit. So you launched it before? Yes. Oh, yes. wow. So we launched it. We did not see COVID coming, obviously. But then once we were live and COVID, like the need for hand sanitizer sprung up, we started going into like overproduction like right away, which was really hard because we were fighting for raw materials with like really big companies. But we were able to, I think we were only out of stock for two weeks and we've supplied Target and Ulta with like hand sanitizer when no one had it. So that has been really interesting. What's been really hard for us is summer is like our real, like is like our season of communication because we have the thigh chafe, the bust us, melasma. What do you have for melasma? Oh, we have a um, beach paint. 
It's like a zinc cream that doesn't have any nanoparticles in it and it just blocks melasma so that the melasma doesn't start. So that's, I say, leave your mustache at the beach because people, like, they get that dark shadow and then they have it all summer and then they pay thousands of dollars to laser it off. So I'm just like, let's just not start it. That's been a harder market. That's been a harder product to communicate. We only sell it on our website and people are still confused about how to use it. So I'm working on it. But you were saying that summer's usually your... Oh, yeah. Summer's usually our big season for what would... Like, I was actually planning on, like, spending some marketing dollars and doing some experiences and doing some fun stuff this summer. And so we we had to shut all of that down, as everyone did. Have your direct sales been positively impacted by COVID? Yes, because of hand sanitizer. Interesting. Yeah. And our, our retail sales are still good. I think it's been hard because people aren't in stores as much. But we are still growing at both retailers. It's just been harder. You have your family in the business with you, but when you have like a particularly tough day, you don't have investors to call to make you feel better. You don't have a co-founder or you guess you do have two co-founders, your best yes. friend and your sister. Yes. So is that who you kind of commiserate with, who you feel sort of knows your struggle? Totally. It's the same thing. Like they'll, they have the same struggles. So they'll call and be like, I can't believe we had this kind of setback today. And then like, we can all talk with each other about that. I think not HR wise, but like as a team, I think it's hard to work with family and friends only and then have those people still be your family and friends. At the Um, end of the day. Yeah. Or like, it's hard to be like a leader, quote unquote, like a founder leader to a team that has known you since you were like born or since you were 10. Because like, I don't think my sister and Kate, like they don't take me seriously when I'm trying to like motivate them. They're like, shut up. Like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not like I can be like a boss for them because they are like, don't take me seriously. (laughs) They'll listen to me when I say this is a good product and this is what I want to make. Like currently I want to make something for next summer that I wanted to make for this summer. And finally we're doing it for next summer, but they'll listen to me. I just have to be consistent with my ideas. That's fair. Yeah. Aside from family or family in laws, do you have any full time employees? Uh, no. That's like amazing. <laughs> no, but because and, but Nick, we're tired. We're so tired. Oh, you must be fucking <laughs> exhausted. But like the other thing that a lot of these big venture backed beauty companies do are hire dozens, if not hundreds of people, and then are like sort of have these huge, huge staffs that then become and a problem. Crippled. Right. Yes. They're not even profitable. Like they're, it's, it's a crazy thing. And it's, it is, it's a story that, that I feel is interesting, but time after time you open up the paper and people are getting coverage and I'm like, did they even make any money? When did you become profitable? Uh, our first year. Shit. But you have to remember, we're not taking salaries. Still, I mean, that's inc- you and your band are such an outlier in so many ways. I think people would never appreciate that unless they've like started a company and like found it, especially in the beauty space, because everything that you're saying right now, you know, even I had it was <laughs> I had such a chip on my shoulder about never getting like 30 under 30, like a jokey kind oh, of same, me same. and my friends, like <laughs> and everybody I worked with. It was always kind of a joke like, oh, you're about to turn 30, like d- didn't make the cut, you know. But then you realize like, oh, these people have like venture capital PR, (laughs) you know, giving their names out to Nick, were you 30 under 30? I'm sorry. No, I was 40 under 40. I think so. Oh my God. Bless. I'm so (laughs) jealous. I still have time. Yeah. No, I'm running out of time. Kate Albert, do you hear me? (laughs) But to your point, it's like a lot of these stories that are being told about founders and stuff are crafted by their PR team. And you don't realize that because it's coming from legitimate like media sources. Mm -hmm. And you think that like, this is all like fact and none of it's subjective, Mm -hmm. but like you said, there is a formula yeah. and you're not operating against that and you're, no. you're successful. I mean, you're profitable. That is like the ultimate marker of success that people seem to forget about in favor of the number of Instagram followers or the number of like press clippings you get or yeah. whatever. Or how much money you've raised. Or, or how much, much money like, you've raised. Which yeah. used to be like the marker of success. Like, yes. oh, that company, they raised $20 million last yes. year. Like to me, that always sounded like that company owes someone else $20 million. <laughs> yes. And they got the big office and they've got the big staff. And I think we've seen that was the marker for success for the past 10 years. And I think we're about to go into a new brand profile. What are you envisioning? I don't think that people are going to be giving out money in the way that they were to like throw it out the window because that is, I mean, the money that people spend on the packaging and everything, it's so expensive. 
and they're not profitable. So I think that they will be looking more for people who can do more with less. Lean and mean. So like, you know, you're, you're not having to make any cuts during COVID because no. yeah. there was no one, yes. there was no one to cut. Yeah. That puts you in a very unique place to navigate ups and downs in the economy. Mm-hmm. So what are the next few months and then few years look like for Mega Babe? I am very excited for some things we have coming out this year. I want to continue to put those products out there that women need that they feel like they can't get in a cute way that is still effective. And the next few years, I would say, hopefully they look like us getting acquired. <laughs> like, cause I'm about to hit the streets. Like, let me tell you something. We don't even have like a deck. Like everyone's like, can I see your deck? And I'm like, what deck? Like, we don't have a deck. Like, what is the deck? So I got to put together the deck and then (laughs) I got to take it on the road and see. Because I don't think that we have interest in just running a company. Like, I think that you've had great examples of like Poopery or Spanx. Like, those are founders that have built such amazing businesses and they're still running them. That's not me. I don't want to do that. I would love to stay on and consult and like bring in my brand voice and stuff like that. But I don't have a desire to do that. So then what do you want to do? I have like 50 more ideas that I'd like to do. What are like the top three? I can't tell you because someone's going to do it. <laughs> but if but, only, like, but I, I feel like it, it could only be you. No, it can be so many people. So it could be it anyone? Can be, it can be anyone. I have a clothing solution I'd like to do. I've got, um, I would like to do a line of athletic wear. I have a podcast. I really enjoy talking about things that people don't like to talk about. I'd love to get that into some sort of video form. I mean, these are the things. I just want to empower women. Is that bad? This is that's what I want. I just Why want, how would that I, be bad? What do you I mean? mean like does not, that like, sound cheesy? Th- yeah, like that's like that's the through line through everything I want to do is just empower women to like just crush it. That's a noble goal. <laughs> that's I mean, that's like what I do. That's what motivates me every day with Mega Babe. It's what motivates me with my blog. I have a book coming out next year. I have another book I'd like to write, a fiction book, but you know, no one wants a fiction book from a nonfiction writer. But how do you write a book? Yeah, exactly. Writing a book is horrible. For anyone out there who's like, I want to write a book, like writing books is a horrible, horrible thing. You have to really love writing, and um, I don't. So I would work with a writer. My dad is a book agent, and I asked him advice once when I like had an opportunity to like ghost write a book. Yeah, and he was, I was like, Dad, what's your advice? And he was like, Don't write a book. Yeah, don't write a book. It's it's hard, hard, hard. And it's a shitty business. Yes. Yeah. And then you're responsible for like selling the book, essentially. You've got to like do all the promotion, the publicity. But my book coming out next year is all about like body acceptance. So that's one that comes easily to talk about. My fiction book is so good. I just need someone to write it. So I have actually a question about the body positivity movement. What do you think the media gets wrong about like how they characterize the body positivity movement. I think that they, that people like the word body or the body positivity movement has become synonymous with being plus size. And that's not what it is. People are like, Oh, you should talk to her. She's body pause. And I'm like, Oh, you mean she's plus size, but that's not the same thing. I think that it's more about body acceptance. And I think that we've gotten very lost and confused and we put one type of curvy body up on the internet and in the magazines and on the TVs. And we think that that's the ideal. So flat stomach, big butt, curvy thighs, big boobs. That is what body positive, like that's what it's supposed to be. But really what it means is accepting your body at all all sizes, even if you want to change it. You've been like pretty vocal about, you know, aesthetic dermatology stuff. Like you're cool with fillers and Botox and all that shit. I sure am. You fuck with your whole shit. I don't care. Like, I just, I want you to understand that you're not going to get happiness from it. That's all I want. Like, you can like a certain look and... And it won't necessarily bring you happiness. (laughs) Yeah. If you're disappointed with the way that something isn't balanced in your body or whatever, that's fine. But it's not going to make your husband love you. And it's not going to make you find a boyfriend or a girlfriend or like, it's not going to, it doesn't do anything to that part of, it's not going to make you successful. It's like, they're not tied together. I never actually sat and thought about that before. A lot of the like body positivity movement is so tied to like the idea of happiness. And Mm -hmm. I don't know that that is now that we're talking about this, I don't know that that is necessarily like the ultimate goal here. Right. 
No, it's just my idea is that I want to take up that brain space that you're always thinking about. What did I eat? Did I work out? How do I look in these pants? Like that obsession that we have, I just want to shift it over into something else. So to a business, to self-improvement, just shift it over to something that's going to bring you more fulfillment. I love that. That's my book. That's it. And I love that people can't see, but you have a hashtag blasted across your Zoom background, which is too cute to chafe. (laughs) Which I like. I do. Thank you. Now is the time in the show that is our favorite moment. Annie, it's when we get to talk about the things, the products, the Instagram accounts, the vibes that we're feeling this week. Um, Do you want to go first? No. I'll go first. My vibe and my product for the week is something that I've actually on my second bottle of. It is the Ritual Multivitamin Essential for Men. And this is a new product that Ritual, which is a vitamin company, came out with, I guess, last month that is specifically designed for men. So they had a women's multivitamin, they had a prenatal multivitamin, and now they have a men's multivitamin. And my husband and I are both hooked on them. Not only are they actually really cute, they look almost like fish oil color golden capsules with little white dots of vitamins inside them, Um, and you take two a day, but they also smell like peppermint. So you know how oftentimes with a fish oil capsule, it'll kind of give you weird fishy breath? These leave you with fresh minty breath, and it's because they have this little tab inside the bottle that is like mint scented, I guess. So everything smells like mint. They're fun to take. They're easy to take. And they have everything that a guy needs. They have, you know, vitamin D. They have fish oil. They have zinc. They have magnesium, vitamin K. I'm really into them. I usually think multivitamins are kind of bullshit or vitamins in general are kind of bullshit. But what I really like about these is that, you know how, and this is going to get a little explicit, but you know how... When you take multivitamins, oftentimes your pee is like bright yellow or orange, and it's basically because you're just peeing out the vitamins. It depends on the vitamin, but but like I think I know what you're talking about. I like the ones I used to take, the ones I would get at Whole Foods. Like I'd, I'd pee out, and it would feel like I was just peeing out literally what I bought for fifty dollars at Whole Foods. And what I like about Ritual is that I you love Air One. I know. Well. <laughs> Not for vitamins because Ritual uh, comes to your door. It's they're really reasonably priced. You can get a subscription, so you don't have to remember to order them. They just come automatically, and uh, your pee is normal. So I feel like your body's retaining the vitamins. And you nutrients. know, I actually did a brand project with Ritual and came up with a tagline. But I like your new tagline. What's my new? Oh, pee. Your pee is normal. Yeah, pee normally. Ritual. Ritual. Um, The one thing I forgot to mention about Ritual's vitamins is that they are vegan. So they're getting the the omega-3 from a non-fish source. Oh, and you can get them on ritual.com. And we um, just actually, before this podcast, emailed the team at Ritual to see if we could get a discount code for listeners to use for their first purchase. Thank you, Nick. Yeah, so stay tuned on that one. It's ritual.com. This week, it's not a new product, but it is one I've been picking up more recently because I think, as I said in the last episode, I've been very inspired by Blackpink. Who's a K-pop singer? Uh, It's a K-pop girl group. There's four of them. Jisoo, Jenny, Rosé, and my favorite. Oh, wait, no, Jenny's my favorite. And Lisa. Lisa's my second favorite. Anyway, but Jenny does these like really beautiful, like smoked out blush looks like and, you know, like K-beauty is like very much about like the stained lip. While Chanel is the best, makes the best product for that, in my opinion, I've tried a lot of them. It's a lip stain. It's a lip stain. But do you see it's in this like soft matte kind of tapered tube it looks almost like a like pyramid like yeah it's squeezable it's like soft to the touch it's like that matte soft plastic and the product's called rouge allure liquid powder i got it in shade 968 and it has this little felt tip applicator you squeeze the product up through it will you put some on mm-hmm. 
I put it on my lips and my cheeks. Really? Yeah. <laughs> is that like... <laughs> <laughs> that is revolutionary. <laughs> um, no, but what I like about it is that it kind of gives a little bit of a flush, but it doesn't look like you have makeup on. Exactly. That's the look I'm going for, you know? And it's not a new product. It's just a way to like get, get the look. It's fairly new. Get I mean, the black-pink look. I hope they keep it around. Who knows, though? I mean, I think it launched like last year. It's really good. I love it. You know, Chanel, I have my problems with them, but they do make a good beauty product. You know, I, uh, my money's on Chanel. I think they've got a good <laughs> idea with this beauty company. <laughs> you think they'll, <laughs> I think that, I think I think they'll it, last? I think it just might work. Yeah. Yeah. No. I love it. It's only $30. That's pretty reasonable for Chanel. Yeah, that's pretty good. I think. This is coming from the person that last week was had to get talked out of a $1,200 moisturizer shopping cart. Oh, yeah. I And I've actually given you some options for your Barber Stern blood cream. Um, I, don't, I didn't remember seeing a dupe for the blood cream. And to be specific, I don't want my blood in the blood cream. I want Hailey Bieber's blood <laughs> in the blood cream. Got it. So it's not about yeah. taking your own blood and no. spitting it down into the plasma. It is, I get it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Understood, understood. So, Haley, if you're listening. Oh, I have one more update, which we can end with, which is that, so I told you that I was going to uh, a workout class that's outside, and you're in like a little six foot by six foot box, and you don't share equipment, and it's as sort of safe as you can get at this point. One of the guys, I think he was the runner up from The Bachelor, is in my class. So Uh I'm glad (laughs) that we have your rose of the week. Yeah, I will keep everyone updated on on his uh, progress, um, just know that he has a tall drink of water. And um, I don't think we should say who he is. I think no, we I'm going to preserve his privacy. his privacy. Yeah, but just know that he was I on mean, The Bachelor. And yeah, and he, I mean, yeah, he joined The Bachelor to look for love, not to get famous and no. have people know who he is. So, okay, with that, let's call it. Let's call it. So that's it for this week's episode of Eyewitness Beauty. Thank you so much for listening. And we are actually going to do a Q&A episode in a few weeks. We have a couple of really great questions that have come in from listeners, but we need more. So we're going to put a call out on our Instagram to you know give us your beauty questions. They can be specific. They can be general. They can be embarrassing. We don't have to use your name, but send us those so that we can get this episode together and do our research for you, our our dear listeners. Please remember to also rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can do it just before or just after you send us your question. And please follow us on Instagram at eyewitnessbeauty, and you can email us at hi at eyewitnessbeauty.com. Uh, breaking my baby is now the size of a fig. Anyway, you uh, can also know that we will always be giving you updates on babies. Sorry. Eyewitness Beauty is produced by Jessamine Molly of Seaplane Armada. Our art is by Simon Abronowitz, and our theme music is by Danny Prezant. We'll be back next week with another brand new episode, so we will talk to you then. Au revoir. Adios. Adios.